0: This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm.
1: Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. in cinema here on this 16th season of the seeking human victims podcast the devil made me do it and we're still hovering in the 1970s even well over the halfway mark here we are in 1975 is the year we've got an all-star cast for 1975 in this film we're talking about the devil's reign a popular cult film now. Mm, not so much. Maybe when it came out, we'll talk a little bit of more about that later. But of course, it starred William Shatner and Ernest Borgnine and the dude from fucking Green Acres. So, I mean, we're talking about the, the fucking the heavy hitters of the era, folks, in this one. And it was a hoot. I am your host, the maniacal minister, the occult, the devil, you know, the original motherfucker, the Rev. Dan Wilson. And I am here alongside my cult members, Dreamboat Annie.
2: That bitch hauls our name to the heathen. (laughs) This
1: movie had some great lines in it. And the one, the only, the great
0: Mooji. Corbus, goddamn you.
1: Definitely had some classic Shatner acting in this and Shatner line delivery. A lot of pointing. A lot of fucking pointing.
2: So much pointing. So much aggressive pointing.
1: You gotta face whatever you've got behind that
2: door. That scene was wild. Uh, this, was, this was a pretty wild
1: film. I didn't have any, honestly, any prior uh, experience with it. I had watched it once. When I was about three sheets to the wind one night and kind of had it on while I was fucking off on my phone and like picking the guitar and shit, I think. Um, So I did like barely paid attention to it, but I remember some of the imagery and Er Ernest Borgnine's fucking massive eyebrows. I definitely remember those. And of course, William Shatner, his face when they do the curse thing on him and make make him one of the eyeless minions he kind of has that Michael Myers resemblance a couple of years before the Michael Myers mask in Halloween. Of course, it's of some significance there as
0: well. But uh, what about y'all? Anyone familiar with this little peach? No, I'd actually never seen it. I obviously knew of its existence due to obviously you know Shatner, Michael Myers mask, but had never actually seen it before. Uh,
2: absolutely not. No.
1: Yeah, and he's not too uh, brushed up on 70s films as it is. So this, this one definitely, being a more obscure cut, was not in her periphery. All right, well, if we're gonna dig on into this, then we'll do it here in just a moment. We do have, of course, a musical guest, as always, from our pals at Horror, Pain, Gore, Death Productions... Mike Giuliano and the crew always bringing us a great musical guest. And this week, no different. We are looking at a band this week joining us called Horrible Earth with a new album called Weakened by Civilization. They hail from Boston, Massachusetts and are a vicious four-piece grindcore outfit that continues to deliver pessimistic cruelty weakened by civilization unleashes 17 tracks of cutthroat savagery and vicious grind core intensity separating them from other extreme metal acts nausea inducing start stop speed high anxiety brain sick blast beats abusive guitar riffs gnawing and chewing at your ears unmerciful bass bludgeoning and rattling your surroundings Relentless harsh vocals and lyrics remind you of the inequality that exists on this planet. Horrible Earth's total anarchic punishing blend of grindcore, hardcore punk, and power violence is showcased in full force on Weakened by Civilization, a nihilistic message of mankind's meaningless existence, and warns listeners like an apocalyptic PSA for fans of Asuk, Benumb, Blood Duster, Brutal Truth, Discharge, Misery Index, Napalm Death, Nazan, Repulsion, Siege and Terrorizer, here is Horrible Earth with Prayers Ring Hollow, kicking off this week's episode of Seeking Human Victims.
0: Time, but God damn it, Moji <laughs> Imagine like what's your plans for tonight? I'm gonna get fucking wasted and check my privilege, dude.
1: <laughs> I was young and I needed the money. Oh, we're back. Um so this movie was directed by Robert Fuest. I tell it's a British name. A name like Fuest. Born in London, England, he served in the National Service in post-war Germany with the Royal Air Force airlifting coal over the Berlin Wall, after which he attended Wimbledon and Hornsey Schools of Art. For a period, he lectured at Southampton College. Fuest also spent time as a drummer in a warm-up band for Chris Barber and George Melley. In the early 60s, he designed sets for the television programs such as ITV, Play of the Week, and Armchair Theater. It was whilst working on the first season of The Avengers for director Peter Hammond that West developed an enthusiasm for directing. He later admitted that uh, Hammond's visual style provided a major influence and opened him up to the stylistic possibilities of film and TV. In 1965, he contributed material to the Peter Cook and Dudley Moore comedy sketch show not only, but also... His first film was
2: Just Like a Woman
1: in 1967, which he also wrote, starring Wendy Craig. His work on the film brought him to the attention of Avengers producer Albert Fennell, who offered him the chance to direct episodes there. He directed seven episodes of that show in total. And when the series was later revived as the new Avengers, he was invited back to direct two more episodes. in further TV work, he handled production on both sides of the Atlantic, including Revenge of the Stepford Wives, ABC Weekend Special, ABC After School Specials, The Doombolt Chase, Cat's Eyes, Worlds Beyond, and The Optimist. His later feature films... Uh, included strong black comedy elements including cult favorites like The Abominable Dr. Fibes from 1971 starring Vincent Price and Dr. Fives Rises Again in 1972 which he co-wrote and the final program also known as The Last Days of Man on Earth from 1973 in addition to directing the final program he was also the screenplay writer and set designer for that film His other films included And Soon the Darkness from 1970, which is a suspense thriller written by Avengers writers Brian Clemens and Terry Nation. And this film, The Devil's Reign, a horror film shot in Mexico. And uh, sadly, (laughs) a little bit of spoilers for later in the show, but the reviews for this film basically ended his career. And so he was relegated to anonymous television work mainly after this film Uh, and he only had one more theatrical release after that that was Aphrodite from 1982 which was a softcore sex movie filmed in Greece Uh, during his retirement he focused on his passion for painting and lectured at the London International Film School and uh, apparently this film was uh, rumored to be financed by mob money And West was told that he would have eight weeks originally altogether to shoot the film, but that schedule was cut by 14 days. The music was handled by Al DeLore, who was a famous American record producer, arranger, conductor, and session musician. He was the producer and arranger of a series of worldwide hits by uh, Glenn Campbell in the 1960s, including John Hartford's Gentle On My Mind and Jimmy Webb's By the Time I Get to Phoenix, Wichita Lineman, and Galveston. All great fucking songs, actually. Uh, He was also a member of the 1960s Los Angeles Session Musician Group known as The Wrecking Crew and inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in 2007.
2: He's still on the
1: line. (laughs) See? Great tunes.
2: Yeah, even I know that one.
1: And the score to this film was, you know, right right what you'd expect for a 1975 kind of low budget horror movie. With- yeah, it
0: was fine. There's like nothing in particular that like is super memorable or like blows you away, but like, you know, it's wasn't like one of those movies where the music was like, you know, bad. You know, bad scores totally stand out and this was not that. Yeah, absolutely the special effects which were a star
1: of the film um, they were handled by Ellis Berman jr. and Tom Berman uh, Ellis Berman jr. used wax figures and inflatable sex dolls to simulate the melting bodies in the finale scene and in the special features the devil's makeup which features on the Severin films release of the movie makeup artist Tom Berman provides a wealth of insight on how the cavalcade of goop was made as he describes apart from him and his brother the crew that pulled off the melt sequence was entirely made up of folks with no makeup experience while the production was short on money they were flush with time to get the shots they needed they shot days and days and days of melting people he recalls uh they left days and days of it on camera too Uh, for the shots with the actors Birmingham Company would run tubing that had been flat ironed under the prosthetics, and one of three things would then be pumped through the tubes, smoke, air, or colored methyl cellulose. The smoke was achieved with a product called a smoke cookie, which is a pyrotechnic device that looks a bit like a urinal cake that, when ignited, produces a lot of smoke without having to keep a live fire on set. To make the methyl cellulose look like wax, Berman would pump in a series of colors, each with its own pressure pot that would create a marbling effect. Using the pressure pots, Berman and company could add more slime, smoke, uh, etc., to make it look as though the body was steaming, or even air, to create a bubbling, frothing effect. And some of the shots were filmed with dolls procured from a sex shop, as we would mentioned, and from Berman's account, they made use of uh, both partially melted heads and full body so yeah the the all that to say the melty effects in this were really cool and definitely like a highlight of the movie
2: i was definitely specifically wondering about like the scenes where they are like ripping at their faces and pulling like chunks of like melted flesh off i'm like Man, because I was obviously thinking like, oh, well, they probably use like paraffin wax. And I'm like, man, that would have been so hot and uncomfortable. And like, that's really fascinating to, you know, that they were just like, here's how we did it. So, you know, it could be done again, I guess. But yeah, really cool.
1: Yes, it were. What were you gonna say, Muji? Spit it out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, the effects were definitely probably, like, the biggest highlight of the movie, and even, like, even before the crazy melty scene, like, just the, like, the people in the satanic cult, when they, you know, have their, you know, eyes, like, you know, looking like they're cut out and stuff, like, just, if you did still frames of those people, like, it's kind of cheesy to an extent, but within the confines of the movie, like, I think it's all... Like, they look pretty awesome. Like, they look pretty freaky. Um, You know, sometimes they kind of pop up. There were a couple times, like, when the one was sitting in the car that it kind of, like, almost made me laugh a little bit more than, like, maybe it was supposed to. <laughs> but well, the one that ge- popped up in the car was fucking hilarious. Yes, but in general, like, I think that that was just a really... You know, awesome, you know, awesome idea for an an effect. And they, you know, they all like, you know, kind of individually look pretty creepy.
1: Hell yeah. Let's look at the cast. We had Ernest Borgnine as Jonathan Corbus, our big bad, the head priest of the satanic cult. He appeared in this fresh off of his success with the Poseidon Adventure and Emperor of the North Pole. Ernest Borgnine, world famous character actor, one of those very famous, familiar faces you would see all through uh, the 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, probably even the 60s. Um, but, uh, you know, he had the gruff voice, the gap toothed Cheshire cat grin and was always a guest on like talk shows or a panelist on a game show. Uh, but of course, also did a lot of movies and TV. He was in China Corsair in 1951, From Here to Eternity in 1953. Vera Cruz in 1954, Bad Day at Black Rock in 1955, and The Wild Bunch in 1969. He played the unconventional lead in many films, including winning the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1956 for the film Marty, uh, which also won the award for Best Picture that year. And he gets chief continuing success on the sitcom McHale's Navy, as well as the TV show Airwolf and then he was the original voice of mermaid man on spongebob uh he was on the show er and he was in the sequel to all dogs go to heaven as well as all dogs go to heaven the series along with a shitload of other things the great ernest borgnine r.i.p passed away in 2012 um Great role for him, like this is not a role you expect Ernest Borgnine to be in, you know, and I think they took advantage of his kind of familiarity to people at the time to cast him in this sinister role, and I mean, when, when he turns into the fucking devil, holy shit, um, you, you gotta see it, You <laughs> you just
0: gotta see it. Yeah, I liked him in the movie in general. Um, he, you know, he did do, like, you know, he pulled off evil satanic priest pretty, pretty well throughout. Yeah, um, had the fucking, the devil makeup was something. <laughs> That's all I can say is, it, it was definitely an original look for a Satan head, but I thought in general, like, he was a pretty good presence in the movie. Yeah,
2: um, he has those, like, cartoonishly stereotypical evil eyebrows that like the second he turns around from the first time he's on screen he like whips around and you see your, it's, it's almost like an Austin Powers with the guy with the mole where you're just like eyebrows as soon as you see him and you're like there's a bad guy there he is um, but I didn't know that, that that he was Mermaid Man because that's dope that is awesome evil
1: yeah Ernest Borden I was the fucking man Great role for him. Another television legend. We had Eddie Albert in here as Dr. Sam Richards, the psychic researcher who aids the Preston family. This came in a short interval between his starring runs on Green Acres and the show Switch. Yet another film and television legend. Very familiar face in Eddie Albert. Our audience is probably too young to get any sort of Green Acres references, but. If you were like me and grew up on Nick at Night, you saw reruns of that old-ass shit, and you remembered the theme song, and you remember Eddie Albert. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Mooji.
0: Yeah, I was going to wait till the next person in the cast to say that this movie is really like a true like Nick at Night all-stars, <laughs> like with all the people that are in it. But, uh, fucking... If you're young out there, go watch an episode of Green Acres and um, fucking have your mind blown when this guy has to climb a fucking telephone uh, pole to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> That's old shit. <laughs> wow. Yep.
1: Speaking of those Naked Night All-Stars, Mooji's right on the money. We had William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, as Mark Preston. The younger son of the Preston family, though devoutly Christian, he's forcibly converted to Satanism. And The Devil's Reign is one of several B-films that he starred in between the original Star Trek, uh, which ended in 1969, and Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979. And, oh man, Shatner was fucking in a lot of crazy weird movies in the 70s what is the one is it like kingdom of the spiders or some shit where the the they replayed that motherfucker on tbs like a thousand times when we were growing up but it's like the the one where like the tarantulas fucking take over this whole fucking town and like wrap everything in webs and they fucking bite them and shit like yeah, uh, yet another. I, I Nobody's chiming in, so I'm clearly an island into my old-ass self here, but... <laughs> take it from me that William Shatner started some weird-ass fucking movies in the 70s in between his run on the Star Trek series and the Star Trek movie,
0: including this one. And it's
1: a Shatner performance, tried and true.
0: You know what you're going to get there. Yeah, it's really... It's really weird kind of the structure of the movie because, like, he's, you know, obviously the star of it for, like, the majority of the first part. And then he's just kind of out of it for a long time. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of, it's taken over with... um with somebody new as a star we we'll be talking about before too long but yeah i mean he's he's fucking acting like william shatner um yeah between the star trek series and when the movie started you know like he kind of like swore off star trek and uh i remember like you know he was kind of bitter for a long time about like feeling like he was kind of a typecast as captain kirk but uh i think that in reality he was just typecast as uh, william shatner because he's acts pretty fucking crazy, and there's only certain type of roles that that works in, such as this. Yeah, he he
1: shatted it up, pun intended. (laughs) And then we had uh, Ida Lupino as Emma Preston, the matriarch of the Preston family, uh, kind of killed off in the early part of the film and kidnapped, quote-unquote, by the cult, but, uh, you know, they all lose their eyes when they become part of the cult and some of them we find out you know weren't even really there at all and their souls were trapped and all that shit so yeah but she was the mom a very famous director a famous female filmmaker working in the studio system in the 50s Uh, she had an independent production company she co-wrote and co-produced several social message films and became the first woman to direct a film noir which was the hitchhiker in 1953 and among her other directed films, best known are Not Wanted from 1949, about an unwed pregnancy. Never Fear from 1950, about her battle with polio. Outrage from 1950, which is one of the film's first films about rape. The Bigamist from 1953. And The Trouble with Angels from 1966. She had a short yet immensely influential directorial career. And as an actress, her films are best known. Uh, so like the uh, adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone, they drive by night with George Rafton, Humphrey Bogart, high Sierra, the sea wolf, moon tide, the hard way, deep Valley roadhouse from 1948, the original <laughs> while the city sleeps from 1956 and, uh, Junior Bonner from 1972 with Steve McQueen. She also directed more than 100 episodes of TV shows in a variety of genres, including being the only woman to direct an episode of the original Twilight Zone series. So a true pioneer. In addition to, you know, doing exactly what she needed to in this film. Not an amazing, like, incredible performance, but definitely serves the purpose it was intended.
2: Yeah, she spends most of her screen time... Behind a face full of prosthetics oh. and like not really able to like emote much or even in this parts where she like she says like a few like one to two sentence spots and her mouth can barely move. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then we had uh, Tom Skerritt as Tom Preston. That's the elder son of the Preston family who comes to make the hot tag halfway through the movie and try to make the save. He's appeared in over 40 films and more than 200 TV episodes known for being in M.A.S.H., Alien, The Dead Zone, Top Gun, A River Runs Through It, Poltergeist 3, Up in Smoke, and the TV shows Picket Fences as well as Cheers and had a hell of a mustache.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm always uh, happy when Thomas Garrett pops up. He's a legend in a bunch of my favorite movies of all time. So, you know, actually, you know, I mean, of course, I love William Shatner for, you know, just silly reasons, but quite an upgrade to go from Shatner um, to Scarrett when it comes to like acting chops there to start starting the movie. <laughs>
1: He's our big baby face that has to make the save here, and then we had Joan Prather, who was his wife, Julie Preston, whose soul gets trapped in the new Devil's Reign there at the end, unbeknowingly with our little tw- or unknowingly with our twist ending there. Uh, and then we had Keenan Wynn as Sheriff Owens. He's a very famous character actor. He's you know known for a very expressive face. And uh, he rarely had a lead role, but he always had prominent roles in movies and TV. And then in a blink, if you miss it, blink and you'll miss him spot, John Travolta appears in his first film role as a member of the satanic cult. Again, his film debut. Uh, Years later, in an interview with VH1, Travolta was reminded of the film and said, oh, that's a terrible movie. He quipped with a big laugh. There are so many big
2: stars in it. So. Yeah, that was crazy because uh, I felt, I felt like uh, I was hallucinating a little bit because I don't, I couldn't even tell you where in the movie it was because it wasn't until the credits that we saw his name that it like confirmed it. But I remember watching it and being like, "Wow, that guy looks just like John Travolta!" But being like, "Yeah, that's not fucking John Travolta's Not in this movie." But yeah, just, just. He's there just enough for your brain to go, huh, oh, that looks like John Travolta. Why am I thinking about John Travolta right now? Like... There like, go. like when you, <laughs> it was! Like when you just hear just like a few notes of a song, and then you're like, why is that song stuck in my head? I haven't heard it in years without realizing that you heard just a snippet. Same thing, but visually.
0: He thought he was showing up just for a fucking Scientology course, but then was like, you know, this looks legit. <laughs> Oh,
1: if you only knew, stay tuned, Muji. stay tuned. We had George Sawaya as Steve Preston. We had the founder of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, with a cameo himself here as one of the high priests of the church. His then wife, Diane LaVey, as Priscilla Corbis. And then we had Woodrow Shambliss as John. And Lisa Todd as Lilith wrapping up that all-star cast. And, of course, we mentioned already the shooting dates and locations. It was shot in Mexico, and they cut the shooting down, allegedly because of something to do with the mafia involvement of the financing. Uh, So, you know, they probably ended up with less money than they were told they originally had, is what I'm gathering there.
2: A mafia connection, huh? That's odd and interesting.
1: And with that odd and interesting fact, let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. Right, I had a few little tidbits on this one. So apparently, much like many of the satanic themed films a la the exorcist a la rosemary's baby a la the omen which we'll get to later in the season the shooting of this film was plagued by eerie events and accidents and because of this ernest borgnine vowed to never work on a project with such subject matter again borgnine also said he was never paid for his involvement in the film Attributing that to the uh, the shady backers,
2: I think that's probably why he's like, yeah, no, no, thank you.
1: Apparently, Shat, go ahead.
2: There's spooky shit, and he didn't even get paid. Yeah, he's piecing out on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was done. Shatner had to bail out of shooting for three days uh, because he had to attend a Star Trek convention
0: in New York City.
2: Damn him for wanting to pay his bills.
0: He probably made more money selling fucking uh, Polaroids at that convention than he made making this movie. (laughs) The magazine Cinefantastique ran an
1: article about this, stating director Robert Fuest suffered a nervous breakdown while filming the movie. During the DVD commentary, West uh, he actually addresses that directly and says uh, that was news to him. He denied it by and then jokingly said it slipped by him. So, completely stating they were full of shit. I mentioned earlier that this film kind of killed off Robert West's career. Um, he suffered such a critical drubbing that he was it basically went on to TV. Nondescript TV movies, etc Uh, Yeah, you know All that stuff I mentioned earlier Just, Just reiterate that This movie was not kind to the director But What I was telling you a minute ago You made a joke about Scientology But did you know That during the filming of this movie John Travolta received a copy Of Dianetics From Joan Prather in Durango, Mexico In January of 1975 and that is what led to John
0: Travolta joining the Church of Scientology. Damn, I guess he already had that culty feeling, so why not?
2: Maybe, uh, maybe he saw him in the uh, in the getup and was like, you know what, that looks right. He was like, you're right, it feels right. I should, I should join a cult. I'm looking for the cult leader. Is this where he lives? <laughs> is this where Zeno lives?
1: Oh fuck! Okay. Uh. Apparently, William Shatner was 44 when he shot this movie. Ida Lupino, who played mother, 57, had
0: him at a young age. Yeah, man, very noticeable. Like towards the right at the beginning of the movie, when he's talking to his mom, like it definitely, like immediately, like hit me. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs)
1: So some rumor busting time we've kind of implied, we've talked about it a little bit, at least, you know, there's the familiar visage that, of course, spun ultimately into the rumor that they got the idea to do the Michael Myers mask from a William Shatner mask based on this movie. But any claims about that uh, being based on a live cast from this film? would be false because Shatner himself has stated that while the Kirk masks came out the same year as the film, uh, previous live casts have been used to produce those and that would be the one that uh, they would go on to use for Halloween in 1978. So the Captain Kirk Star Trek mask was already produced by the time this film was made and that is the one they used to make the Michael Myers mask. So no, this film just only... Purely coincidental that William Shatner without eyes looks very much like what we would come to know as Michael Myers.
2: I mean, I always just assumed that the Michael Myers mask was picked because they needed a mask, and that was one that was available for the cheapest.
1: I mean, pretty much.
2: And he does look like, you know, Michael Myers because Michael Myers does look like William Shatner without eyes because that's what the mask is.
1: They had the uh, Emmett, what, what you fuck, clown mask, like the old, like creepy hobo mask. Um, that was kind of the other one. It was down to that and the Shatner mask, and they picked the Shatner mask.
0: Yeah, the Emmett Kelly. There um, you go. Yeah, but yeah, it is. That is a funny thing. Like, if that's true, which of course I've seen other people say it is legit. So Shatner could have just fucking forgot because Shatner's pretty crazy. <laughs> but, um, he does look, you also wonder if like, maybe it was just like a slip on inspiration where they're like, we got the mask and it's from there. Because when you look at Shatner's face in this movie, when he does lose his eyes, like he does look a decent bit Michael Myersy. so maybe it's one of those things where they got a Star Trek mask and, you know, somehow this movie, you know, maybe not even you know, on purpose, but maybe it wasn't like the back of the brain of good old Tommy Wallace. And, you know, that's what led us to Mike. Who knows?
2: Again, I'm going to argue that, of course, he looks like Michael Myers when his face is covered in a meltable plastic type material to make his face look basically like a mask because Michael Myers mask is a mask of William Shatner's face. That's why he looks like Michael Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers looks like William Shatner.
1: Yes. Did you know, in the 1980 book, the Golden Turkey Awards, this movie was...
2: Uh, I'm sorry, the what?
1: The Golden Turkey Awards. <laughs> this, this movie got a nomination for the most embarrassing movie debut of all time for John Travolta's performance. But he lost to Paul Newman in the film The Silver Chalice.
2: Well, at least he lost.
1: The chance done by the cult are in the language of Enochian and names found in the Satanic Bible written by Anton LaVey. Uh, Christopher Plummer was apparently asked to play the William Shatner role, declined. Uh, Vincent Price was originally favored for Corbus. They got Ernest Borgnine instead. And Joseph Cotton and Peter Cushing were both on the list to play Dr. Richards. But uh, so, you know, what
0: could have been? would have been a lot different movie if any of those guys didn't have taste. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Apparently, Shatner, Skerritt, and Joe Prather all appeared together in the movie Big Bad Mama the previous year, in 1974. Got to get the Big Bad Mama
0: cast back together. <laughs> get the boys back. What are we doing?
1: No, you don't know, LeV- or Diane LeVay, the then wife of Anton LeVay was in the film. She actually passed away one week before they were going to air a special on Sven Gulli of the Devil's Reign and uh, I guess she was supposed to be involved in it. It's a sad coincidence.
2: More proof that the movie is cursed.
1: (laughs) Robert Fouette said he never had any time during the frantic shooting to really talk to the legendary cast members about their careers. So he had to be a pro and couldn't mark out. And that's going to close the door on the auditorium. Um, I'd say let's see how it did. But a lot of these have been such low release, we don't really have box office figures per se. So we're not going to see how it did, but we will kind of get an overall picture of its success as we look at the numbers.
0: Numbers of the Beast, uh, Devil's Rain, was released in 1975 um, at screenings in New York on August 7th and Los Angeles on August the 13th. And um, there's no specific numbers on budgets or box office, but uh, it was a considered a flop.
1: So, yeah, you, you heard it there from Muji, or maybe. I it seemed like we might have been having some uh, technical issues there on his end. at least from what i could hear but you might have heard him but uh regardless it was okay good because it was just me it was considered a flop and it was hated so (laughs) whoops um it received a uniformly negative critical response the chief complaint being that the storyline was incoherent it was also criticized for a lack of adequate scares The New York Times said it is ostensibly a horror film, but it barely manages to be a horror. It is as horrible as watching an egg fry. (laughs) Our good pal Roger Ebert had to weigh in, of course.
2: I was going to say, I fried an egg and it sat there going, You know, they (laughs) scream sometimes.
1: Our pal Roger Ebert said that uh, all this would be good, silly fun if the movie weren't so painfully dull. The material is stretched too thin. There's not enough here for a feature-length film. He derided the exhaustive melting of Satanists in the finale, gave the film one and a half stars, and added it to his most hated movies list.
0: Fucking Raj always coming through with hating everything that we cover. (laughs) Almost.
1: Coming through with the hate. And in a 2010 book, this is really the legacy of the movie in a 2010 book called showgirls teen wolves and astro zombies author michael adams called the devil's reign the ultimate cult movie it's about a cult it has a cult following it was devised with input from a cult leader anton LeVay, and some a future superstar indoctrinated indoctrinated into a cult he'd help popularize john travolta so when you put it like that you're not really wrong so if you would like to own The Devil's Reign, the story of a family who has a pact with the satanic cult, who's got this book that Ernest Borg and I have been trying to get from them, and they kill their dad and hunt him down and get the book and convert him, and they kidnap one brother, another brother's got to make the save. Uh, it, it, yeah, I could see why they thought the police lot was confusing, but you know, if you want to own it, you can run it back a few times and, and make sure you understand everything that's going on. And Annie is gonna tell you how to do that.
2: So it was originally released in 1975 as an early VHS release, believe it or not. Original copies of that um, are selling for upwards of a hundred dollars on eBay. Um it was re-released in nineteen ninety one And in 2002 on VCI home video, it was finally released on DVD on Halloween of 2006. And then in 2017, Severin Films released The Devil's Reign on Blu-ray, because, you know, everybody was clamoring for it. And it featured a 2K restoration from the film's original interpositive, as well as various special features. Um, And otherwise, it is currently streaming as of right now for rental and free with ads on Tubi or Pluto TV.
0: You know that some of the uh, dickwads that tweet that, you know, such current movies is like the new Hellraiser, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween sequels. Um, no matter what you think about those Are the absolute worst movie they've ever seen You know some of those motherfuckers Paid and $40 for this Blu-ray And when you come to realize that uh-huh. You know they're full of shit
1: Well I can't think of a better segue And the final motherfucking thoughts On The Devil's Reign Yeah I mean this is a silly dumb 70s movie um it pretty much comes off like a made for tv movie there's not anything i mean the special effects of the melty people or i guess the grossest thing in it there's nothing super like offensive or anything in it there wasn't even really any nudity or anything which is kind of a shame for a satanic cult movie but it's okay um like it's uh the acting is is pretty bad outside of the you know ernest borgnine pretty much carries the whole thing on his shoulders um i love the image of him melting after he turns into the devil head and the eyeball hanging out and shit like that's that's definitely going to be used for the uh the promotional image for this week's episode <laughs> um so this- there's a lot to like about the film if you like cheesy bad 70s satanic horror movies i mean i assume that's why you're here so uh but it is those things it is cheesy and it is pretty bad um in in most respects but it's got some pretty memorable one-liners uh some hilarious pointing and shouting uh some kind of cool and ahead of its time special effects and a really hard to follow kind of nonsensical plot, but it's also an hour and twenty five minutes, and that's always a good thing. So there you have it. Thumbs in the middle on the Devil's Ring. Uh
2: Yeah, it was uh, pretty convoluted. Um, the they jumped around. There was like three timelines happening at the same time. It felt uh, at least two, but I'm pretty sure three unclear, um, with the, uh, the one girl that's like demonstrating some meditation shit that then gets her, you know, given to the devil or whatever it was that happened. Uh, again, not sure, not very clear on a lot of things in this movie. Um, it, it, and it bounced around and it was like, what, it was hard to follow at times is what I'm getting at. Um, Dan said it felt like very made for TV. Uh, like they they were kind of just throwing it together as they went type deal. Like nobody really had like a full idea before they got started. Um, it's also, as Dan said, it's got some really funny uh, lines in it unintentionally. Um, but yeah, yeah.
0: If you are looking for a movie that answers the question, what happens when the devil takes your soul? this Is the movie for you now? You're gonna find out that what he does is that he puts it in a three foot tall Fabergé egg that has a 19 inch tube TV in it, and suddenly hell doesn't seem as awful as you thought it would be. But, um,
2: don't forget, yeah, don't forget about the, the butthole on the top of the Fabergé egg.
0: That's true, that is true. They do have a butthole on there, so let's not disrespect it too much. But, um, I mean, this movie. This is going to come out, man. I don't like saying this a lot. This movie is, I mean, it's an awful movie. But, but, it is 100% the type of movie that if you like to get fucked up with your friends and kind of laugh at a movie more so than with it, this is the one for you. It's got tons of silly lines in it. Um, The plot is fucking, at times, stupid. Um... I was 100% like clear-headed watching this movie and was laughing my ass off when William Shatner's trying to get away from the cultists after, after he uh, loses his necklace and he's running through that parking lot where he looks like he's running about a fucking like eight-second like he's running like an 8 40 forty-yard dash like just barely jogging but like every time that he like makes a move a cultist falls over <laughs> like it's pretty fucking hilarious and it's fucking topped off by when he gets to his car and the one cultist is just sitting there in the driver's seat it's a great scene um and then you know what would have been just kind of a complete waste and a laugh at it's fucking made worth watching by the last 15 minutes with the fucking insanity of the cult melting and just the fucking, it seems like it's never going to end just melting and melting and screaming and melting. And that part's fucking great. So I think it's totally worth watching just based off that. Yes. It's fucking makes, you know, the mistake, you know, it's like, it's the most kind of like, not dangerous, like, movie about a satanic cult, you'd think when they've got the fucking real leader of the satanic church in it that you're gonna see some hardcore shit. You are indeed not. But like I said, man, it's a fucking classically bad, like, you'll have fun laughing at it movie and that is, like, somewhat saved by that last 15 minutes. That's something, like, that's something that, you know, anybody, everybody needs to see. And there you have
1: it. The Devil's rain washes away another episode of Seeking Human Victims. But we'll be back next week. We're going to 1976 with another creepy kid movie. Haven't had one of those, uh, well, I guess since the third movie this season. But we're back with another one yet again. The Spawn of Satan, this time in the form of the Antichrist. That's right. It's all for you, Damien. We're watching The Omen from 1976. Next week on Seeking Human Victims.
0: This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm.
1: The unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Product of One Good Scare Productions. It is written, edited, researched, and directed by Dan Wilson with assistance by Fuji Grant and Annie Wilson. Original music is provided by Shredderford as well as KT Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their respective owners.